Well, can I add my welcome and good morning to church. Uh, if we haven't met, for those that haven't met, my name's Rick, uh, and I have the privilege of being able to think a bit with uh, you all about a very important topic, as Dan said, forgiveness of sins. But first, I'm going to say a word, and I want you to sit there for a few moments and just think about what images, what feelings does that bring to mind? If I say the word forgiveness, forgiveness. Now, I imagine for a lot of us, forgiveness is either a beautiful word or a painful one. For some, it might be a beautiful word. It might be a word that brings up images of compassion, of people letting go of their hurts and their anger against someone else. Forgiveness can inspire hope. Forgiveness can give uh, hope of things improving, of a better future. But forgiveness can also be a painful word. And I think uh, forgiveness is particularly a painful word if you know what it is like to have to forgive something hard. Something not just when someone has uh, slighted you, but when someone has deeply hurt you. Things that if you think about them for too long still tighten your chest or almost bring tears to your eyes. In that case, forgiveness can be a painful word because you know it is not so easy to forgive. What of those ideas of forgiveness do you think of when you hear that word? Maybe it's both. Today, we're going to spend some time thinking about forgiveness, but as we've said, particularly, not just forgiveness in general, but forgiveness of our sins, forgiveness of sins. There's going to be a a number of little thought thought projects that I'm going to give you this morning. You heard forgiveness of sins a number of times. Does that bring up the same sort of images for you as forgiveness by itself? When you hear forgiveness of sins, what sort of images does that conjure for you? What do you think of? Do you feel gratitude? Do you feel awe? Do you feel confusion? Or, as I think might be the case for a lot of us, if you've heard about the forgiveness of sins hundreds or thousands of times before, my fear is that often when we hear forgiveness of sins, what we actually hear is white noise. We've heard it so many times that it's just, it's become a shorthand for, it doesn't mean anything anymore. If forgiveness by itself can be a beautiful word or a painful word, we need to sit a bit longer in what it means for us to have forgiveness of sins. We can't skate over it. We can't let it be just white noise. And this week as I was reading scripture and I was thinking about this topic and I was reflecting, I've realized that's what largely when I hear forgiveness of sins, that's my first thought is I don't feel anything. And I don't, it's, it's somewhat apathy, even though I know how great it is. So this morning, my prayer has been that we would all be able to think about forgiveness of sins again. How should we feel about the fact that God offers forgiveness of sins? How can we feel and think about that properly? One final thought. One final thought project for you. I'm going to pose you a question, and I want you to think of your first answer. Do you think... If he put his trust in Jesus' death, Hitler 
could be saved. That Hitler could have his sins forgiven. Now, if your answer, uh, it could have been yes straight away or no, if your answer was yes straight away, there's a good chance that you may need to think more deeply about sin, about Hitler's sins, about the horrible things that he's done. If you said no straight away, there's a good chance you may need to think more deeply about the powerful solution God has provided for the forgiveness of our sins. We're going to deal with each of those in turn, but before we do, I'm going to pray. So please pray with me. Father, we're coming before you, we're hearing your word this morning and we're reflecting on what it means that you have offered forgiveness for our sins. Father, please fix both our minds and our hearts. Help us to think rightly about your forgiveness and help us to feel as we should. And we pray that you would be doing that for your glory. Amen. Now, so for those of you who answered yes quickly, now there's good reasons you might have done that. You, you know you know how God's forgiveness works, you know how God works, and you know, yes, if, if Hitler had asked God for forgiveness, yes, he could have been forgiven. But I'm nervous that if we do that too quickly, if you just go, oh, yeah, sure, of course Hitler could be forgiven, then we've stopped re- remembering how horrible sin actually is. Let me remind us all of some of Hitler's sins, and we were reminded before with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he, he deal, dealt with a lot of what was going on in the time. The latest estimates of the amount of people who died as a result of what Hitler did, not just those who died in the warfare, not including them, but those who died as a result of Hitler's laws and rules and his corrupt ideology, is 17 million. 17 million people. That is Jews, that is Romanians, that's gypsies, that's homosexuals, that's all sorts of people that Hitler and his regime decided weren't worthy of life and they needed to be eradicated for their perfect nation to thrive. People who were killed in gas chambers or left to die in concentration camps, killed on the street, babies, mums, dads, elderly, all killed if they didn't fit in to what he envisioned. 17 million. Now, there's that old saying, the death of one is a tragedy, the death of a million is a statistic. I don't want just that 17 million to sound like, oh, that is, that's a large number, that's horrible. Australia currently has, what, 25, 26 million? I don't know what our latest population stat is up to. That means that over 70% of Australia's population would have been killed. 70% because of what he thought and the things that he put into place. That is an abhorrent way to treat people that God has made in his image. That is horrible. And it is so opposed to how God, our creator, has decided and told us that we should treat other people. That is what Hitler was guilty of. And so if you think of instantly, of course Hitler could be saved... Make sure you're not doing that with a superficial and uncaring attitude to what sin actually is. Sin hurts. And if forgiveness for you, you recognise the pain in that, imagine if that was your family. Maybe for some of you it is the reality that it was your family. And I'm aware that the idea of forgiveness in all sorts of ways can bring up painful things and so I'm hoping that this can offer some hope, that God can offer some hope for you this morning. But 
Imagine that was your family. Would it, be easy, would it be that easy for you to say, of course God could forgive that? Now, I may have mentioned this before, um, I can't remember where I have, but I've had the great privilege recently of reading the Bible with my with a grandmother-in-law. I don't know if that is a, a term that you can actually use. Uh, my wife, Ellen's grandma, um, she doesn't yet trust in Jesus, but she has been open over the, the last few months to read God's Word with me. And if you are somebody who prays, I would encourage you uh, to please pray for her. I would really appreciate that. She's growing in her understanding of who God is. Uh, but she has a very different idea about how the world works, God and sin. And we've been reading God's Word to see what he says. Now, one of the things that she remembers reading as a child, she's now in her 90s, and when she was in high school, she remembers reading the Sermon on the Mount. And she has very fond memories of that. And so I thought, well, let's read that together. If that's something that you think you fully affirm, let's read it and just see if it's actually what you remember it saying, what you remember it saying. And we got to something very pertinent to what Hitler did. We got to murder, something that Jesus said about murder. And Jesus condemns murder. And Pauline, my grandmother-in-law, if that's a thing, I'm going to go with it, uh, she said, yeah, of course, murder is terrible. Of course people who murder should be subject to judgment. And I don't think there's anyone here who would disagree with that. But then we got to the next two verses in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, which shocked her. And I'm thankful for her because she told me that she didn't agree with this. She said, I'll read verse 21, 22 for you. You have heard that it was said, this is Jesus speaking, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who is angry. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, insults them, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, I love Pauline, I love it, and one of the things that we love about her is that she is a blunt woman. She will tell you exactly what she thinks. She speaks her mind. And as she read this, her first response to me was, well, I'm always angry at people. I'm, people do stupid things all the time around me. It's hard not to be angry at them. That doesn't mean that I'm going to murder them. It's like, well, yes. Don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus isn't saying every time you're angry, it comes out in murder. And she said, well, then it's, I don't see how this, I don't know how this equates. I'm not going to murder them. It's not going to hurt anyone. I'm just, I'm just angry at them in, in my own head. And it is true. None of us have ever done anything close to the just sheer magnitude of the evil that Hitler has done. We are not Hitler. But Jesus says there that you have still sinned in your anger. We may not be like him, but Jesus says that we're still in danger of the fires of hell for our anger. And it's not just something that's not good. It's If it's in danger of the fire of hell, that is something that we need to take seriously. It's not just those sins, those wrong things that people do out there that we need to take notice of. We need to make sure our own hearts, we need to look at ourselves and realise that we aren't good either. We have things within ourselves which, by nature, put us in danger of hell. Now, if you're here for the first time or if these things are new for you, then I might be just reinforcing for you every stereotype that you've had before coming to church. 
So far, I've talked about sin and hellfire. And you think, well, that's exactly why I don't go to church. Because when people go to church, all they talk about is judgment. They try and make you feel bad. And it's just a big place where everyone wants to get depressed. Now, that's not why I'm talking about this. This isn't me trying to freak you out just for the sake of it. This isn't because this is what we're on about, is just sadness here and just being and realizing that we're, we're sad and we're just going to sit there. This is me showing you reality. This is me wanting to lay out in front of you what the God who created everything has laid out in front of us and said, this is actually what you're like. You don't understand yourself properly. This is what you're like and this is the result. And so if you are new or these things are new to you, please listen to this. Not because I'm trying to freak you out or sign you up for some cult or pyramid. I don't know how pyramid schemes work. It feels like it probably would be the opposite of that, that they sell you something. But still, that's not what's happening here. What is happening here is God is trying to tell you, you need to listen to him. And that's often how we think about sin in terms of doing things wrong to others. It may not be that it's our anger, but it's, it's usually about how we treat others. That is what a sin is. I've heard some people more recently use sin in sense of climate sins, so that's a difference. But the way that God primarily tells us that uh, what sin is, is that sin is rebellion against God. Sin is certainly when we do things wrong to other people. But there's a psalm, a song that Peter mentioned for us before, Psalm 51, that the great king of Israel, King David, wrote after he committed his greatest blunder, his greatest sin. He slept with another man's wife and then made sure that her husband was killed in battle. David wrote this song pleading for forgiveness with God afterwards. And as Peter said, he said, uh, David said to God, against you, you alone have I sinned? Now, I don't think that's God saying, that's uh, David saying to God, I haven't sinned against anyone else. I haven't hurt anyone. I think he's using strong language to say, even my sins against them ultimately are a sin against God because I'm not treating them as you have asked, as you have told us to treat them. Even our sins against other people ultimately are a rebellion against God and how he has told us to live. But more than that, the the passage that Charles read for us gives us a bunch more ideas about what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God, but it puts us in a very dire situation. If you've still got Ephesians uh, there, open it up again if you haven't. Uh, There's lots in there. I'm just going to touch on two things. But the fact that we've rebelled against God, our God who created us and who loved us and told us how to live, means terrible things for us. So have a look there at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Paul, the writer of Ephesians, is saying, you're not just weakened by them. Your sins haven't just hurt you. They haven't just hurt other people. You are dead in them. Which means we are powerless. We are powerless to fix ourselves. We are powerless to please God in our sins. Our deads, our sin kills us. It makes us dead before God. Secondly, have a look down at verse 3. All of us also lived among them, our sins, 
at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. By nature, every single person deserves God's wrath, God's anger for our rebellion against him. Everyone, like the rest, everybody naturally deserves that. So we should be slow to say that Hitler's sins could just be forgiven because I don't want us to too quickly fail to realise how serious sin actually is. But not just Hitler's sins, our sins, your sins as well. What we have done in our thoughts, in our anger, in our actions to people and to God are serious. They are serious things. We need to take stock of our sin and if the reflection on your past sin or your present sin doesn't cause you any grief or pain, the fact that you've treated not only other people the way that you have, you've thought about them that way and you have treated God that way mostly, if that doesn't cause you any grief, plead with God that it would because we need to feel the weight of our sin, of our wrongs. Now, if you don't yet trust in Jesus, this might sound like and is potentially the most offensive thing you've ever heard. I've started with talking about Hitler and how evil Hitler is and then said, not only does Hitler deserve hell, but so by nature do all of us. Now, don't mishear me when I say that. Hitler has certainly done more active evil than any of us have to hurt other people. I'm pretty confident in saying none of us are ever going to do anything close to the sheer magnitude of evil and pain that he has done and caused. But just like what he did and how he treated others and most of all God meant that he deserved hell, we deserved God's anger as well. We shouldn't only be slow to claim that Hitler's sins could be wiped away, we need to do that for ourselves. We need to be slow and remember that our sin is serious. But you may not have said yes quickly when I asked that question. You may have said no, no, of course Hitler's sins couldn't be forgiven. Have you heard what he did? Then if that was you, you may not have appreciated yet how powerful God's solution that he offers us in Jesus is. God's solution for sin, despite how terrible sin is, is more powerful than that and it's in the blood of Jesus. Now, at the moment, my wife and I are trying to teach our eldest daughter uh, to say sorry when she does something wrong. And like most things, I think, with parenting, it is harder and more complex than I thought. At first, when she did something wrong, all I wanted to do her to do was to say sorry. If she said sorry, okay, she... She knows that she didn't do the right thing. Great. Fantastic. But she started to work out how to play the system. And so I've seen her at times playing with another kid, seeing the toy that they're they're playing with, snatch it out of their hand, look at me, say, sorry, and then steal another toy. Is that how sorry works? Is it just this get-out-of-jail-free card that as soon as we say it, wiped clean, we can just do whatever we want now? I could see in her eyes there was zero remorse. There was zero actual regret for what she'd done. Sorry has to be more than that. 
is that how we can come to God? Is even though our sin is great, do we can we come with great sorrow before God and just say, I am sorry for my sin. I realize it's bad. And that's it? Have a look, if you're still in Ephesians, back at chapter 1, verse 7. Because God, God gives a solution to the punishment that we face. It's not just that we need to say sorry. There is a punishment that needs to be dealt with, that we need to face. Have a look at, back at chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 7. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. God has redeemed us, bought us back through Jesus' blood. That is how God forgives our sins. When Jesus allowed himself to be killed, to be hung up on a cross, his blood literally poured out of his body. He was willingly taking the punishment that you and I both deserve for rebelling against God. At that moment that he died, Jesus finished what needed to happen so that God could forgive our sins. How can our sins be forgiven? It's only by Jesus, the perfect one, voluntarily dying to take our punishment. So that means that God's not pretending like our sin doesn't exist. It's not him seeing the tears in our eyes for our sin and saying, look, I see you feel bad, that's enough. No, it's God actually dealing with the punishment that we deserved. This is the one who was sinned against, the one who, through whom everything was created, dying for those who rebelled against him. We rejected and rebelled against Jesus, and yet he died for us. And right there, at that point, we can see how forgiveness, forgiveness of our sins, is beautiful and painful. It is painful at the cost of Jesus' life. And it is beautiful for our benefit, giving us life and forgiveness. So if you answered no, Hitler couldn't be saved, then I get that it's it's terrible what Hitler did. It genuinely is. But what we hear there is shocking that how great Hitler's sin was if he had genuinely trusted in Jesus, he would have had his sins forgiven. And we see that again that in verse 8 of chapter 2 that it is our faith that means that it, we have the forgiveness for ourselves. Have a look at chapter 2 verse 8. These are great verses, and I'm sure you've heard them before if you've been around. For it is by grace you have been saved that we've had our sins forgiven through faith. We were dead. We couldn't do anything for ourselves. It is only by faith, it is only by us trusting that Jesus, the perfect one, died to take God's punishment, that that can apply to us. If you trust in Jesus' blood, your sins have been forgiven. If you don't yet trust in Jesus' blood, then everything you've ever done, everything you have ever done to rebel against God as your creator and to ignore what he has told you, to not live like he has said that you should live and is best for you, everything that you've done, 
every thought, every action, it will be forgiven if you trust in Jesus' blood. That is how beautiful God's forgiveness is. Now, before we finish, there's one last thing I wanted to touch on. Another thing that our forgiveness means for us now, and it means lots of things. Uh, Read through Ephesians, and particularly in chapters 1 to 3. Go home and read it today. There are lots of things that the fact that God has forgiven us means for us now and into the future. But there's just one thing that I was struck by this week. Um, Earlier this week, I had the great privilege of reading uh, this book, Ephesians, with some Telugu-speaking pastors uh, in India. And uh, one of them asked me a question during it that was, I think, a very insightful question. And I wonder, did you notice it as we read through, as Charles read it earlier for us? Have a look at verse 6. The question was, why is it a past tense in verse 6? That was all the question was. Have a look at verse 6 with me. And God raised us up, us who have put our trust in Jesus. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Why does it say God has raised us up? Why doesn't it say that on the last day when Jesus comes to judge the the earth, why doesn't it say that on that day God will raise us up and then he will seat us with himself in the heavenly realms? Why does it say God raised us up? God seated us with Christ. Paul describes those things as already having happened for us. Well, there's kind of two options of what he could be meaning. The first is that it's just, it's so certain that it's going to happen that Paul can just say, it's done. It's like if someone asks a request of you and say, consider it done, even though I haven't, consider it done. That, that's how much you can trust me that I will fulfill it. That's a, that, that, that's a genuine option. God is faithful and if he says he will do something, he will do it. The second option is that even though we don't know how, in some sense, we have already, those of us who have put our trust in Jesus and his blood, have already been raised and seated with him. Now, the first option, I think, is possible, but I'm inclined to think that it's option two, that in some sense, we are now seated with Christ. Because in verse 5, just the verse before, Paul says he made us alive with Christ. He, doesn't, he talks in language of things that have already happened. And so I don't think there's any reason to think that what he says has happened for us in verse 6 has already happened. We have already been raised up. But what is incredible about that is, have a look at verse 7. Paul gives us the purpose, the reason that, that, that God has done that for us. In order that, in the coming ages... He, God, might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God showed kindness to us in Christ Jesus when he forgave our sins. And if you don't yet trust in Jesus, please do that today because this is the kindness he's offering you. But in the coming ages, those of us who have trusted in him, God is going to use us like a beacon to show all creation, everything, angels, demons, Satan, everyone who has ever existed, all creation, God is going to use us, those of us who rebelled against God, to show all creation that he is gracious. God is going to use us with the depths of the sin that we have committed. God is going to use us to say, look, look how gracious I am. 
God is going to use us for his glory for all of creation. How beautiful is God's forgiveness. My prayer has been that we would see again the incredible pain and beauty in God's forgiveness of our sins. The pain and depth of our sin and how deserving of God's anger we are. The pain of what it cost Jesus to take our punishment, but also the beauty that Jesus did it willingly and that we who were dead are now alive because of his blood. That is beautiful and painful. Let's thank God that you and I can confidently say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Pray with me. Almighty Father God, we have rebelled against you and misused your gifts. We have done what we shouldn't have and we've not done what we should have. We've gratified the cravings of our flesh and followed its desires and thoughts. We know we deserved your wrath. But Father, thank you for your great love for us and your mercy. Father, we thank you that Christ's blood was poured out and that you have made us alive with him. We thank you that you've given us new life. We ask that you give us confidence that you have forgiven us our sins when we trust in him. And thank you that you will use us to show all creation that you are gracious. In Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.